So if at our essential nature, all human beings are truth, beauty, and goodness, and we can recognize these qualities, when we are kind, we are acting from our soul. This makes us feel really good because we know on some level we're acting from our authentic self. Welcome to Curious Chats and Kind Acts, the podcast that celebrates difference, kindness, and the little things we can all do to make our world a better place. Join me, your host, Sonia, co-founder of The Axe Charity, for some open, authentic and fun conversations with lots of interesting, extraordinary, everyday people who are all a little bit different. Prepare to have your curiosity peaked and your heart warmed as we explore the ways we can all make a difference in the world, no matter how small. So get ready to be inspired, uplifted and motivated to be the kindest version of yourself. Let's make the world a kinder place, one conversation at a time. Hello, hello. How are you today? Welcome to another episode of Curious Chats and Kind Acts. And we've got a good one today. I talked to Teresa with all of her positive energy about her fascinating journey of overcoming anorexia using meditation, being a single parent of four young children, and her spiritual journey of connecting with her higher self. Yes, Teresa does a great job of explaining some pretty deep subjects. So settle in and be prepared to have your brain challenged in a very good way. Yeah, well, my name's Teresa, Teresa Keast, and I currently work as a yoga and meditation teacher, a single mum of four kids who are almost all flown the nest, and do a lot of unpaid voluntary work in, in various sectors, uh, a lot of speaking, a lot of writing. I think that's interesting, like, about how how you define yourself there in that introduction, because it's like you, your first thing is your job, that's how we define yeah. ourselves, yeah. and then the fact that you're a single parent. Yeah. Like, why, why have we got, why do we put those, why, why those two things? Well, I think so much, you know, my view of parenting, I suppose, it's so much a part of who I am and what I do that it's up there, if not more important than any job, because it is like a job. It's, I take it on that level that seriously. And it's a big part of my life. You know, if you were to look back on your life, it's, a big, it's really significant. Well, and clearly the most important, if, if that's part of your identity, actually, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I guess the difference there, the fact that you're a single mum as well, that's in itself a category, isn't it? Well, it's huge. It makes a huge difference to the whole process. You know, just this week, <clears throat> I've had to be mum and dad. Now, I find it easy to be mum. I find it really difficult to have to step into that male energy, especially with sons. And it's just skills you, you know, you have to develop a, a broad range of skills that maybe if you had more of a partnership bringing up kids, you wouldn't have to develop quite the range of skills. Yeah. Yeah. So actually you're seeing, you're seeing it as a positive, like the fact that you're a single parent, because like sometimes when you say single parent, people would see it as a negative. Mm. I remember when Joy used to go to a church and on Christmas Eve, they dropped around this hamper to all the single mums and it had in it like a cheap turkey and a cheap 
tin of veg and whatever else. Now, Joy had already got, like, raclette fillet steak and whatever else because it was Christmas and she planned for it, but because she'd been lumped into this single parent. The stereotype, yeah, yeah. But I don't think you see it like that. You actually see it as, how do you see it? I see it, I suppose, I look back to when I decided I wanted to have kids and... The defining thing for me is if I'm going to have kids, I'm going to bring them up. I'm going to be there for the important questions. So people used to say, well, you know, why were you a stay-at-home mum or only ever work part-time? And my answer was I want to answer the questions that I answer after school. Yeah. I don't really want anybody else answering those questions and I want to be there connecting with my kids on that level. I want to see them through all the different stages. I want to help and guide them so that I know that those people going out into the world are as well equipped as they can be with a good set of values. And so I do it consciously. Yeah. I suppose that's, it's not just an added thing that I do. It's something I do, I suppose you could think of it like a job, but I, I'm, I do it very consciously with a lot of awareness. Yeah. No, I love it. Let's talk about kind of your early years because you've definitely got a, a foreign twang. <laughs> okay, so I grew up in New Zealand in a small town. Went off to university on the other island in New Zealand. You're either in one island or the other, so it's quite a way to go. Studied, had a passion to work in health and fitness, preventative. Didn't want to do medicine, didn't want to work on that end of things. Wanted to prevent people going to the doctor. So I did a degree in physical education, a degree in nutrition. And then sort of went out into the workforce and was working in fitness centres, was working, I had my own business sort of consulting to athletes, doing sports nutrition, doing some weight loss stuff, doing that sort of exercise lifestyle type counselling. And then with my husband at the time's job, we wound up moving to Sydney. And, oh, that's right, I'd moved into a role at a polytech teaching So sort of teaching exercise science, teaching anatomy, physiology, that sort of thing. And then we moved to Sydney and I took up some more teaching. I was doing some more consulting. And then the plan was he was British. He he had some work back here, wanted to move back to his roots type of thing and sort of posed the question, do you want to move to England? Now, my only real knowledge of England was Coronation Street, (laughs) especially because he's saying Manchester and I'm like, Okay, I know nothing about Manchester except Coronation Street. So I'm like, yeah, okay. That's quite Um, brave, though. Yeah, it was brave. And uh, the idea was, so long as we liked it, that was the plan. So we duly moved here, flew in over all the terraced houses (laughs) that looked just like Coronation Street. And by that stage, I was about six months pregnant with my eldest son. So sort of... Wound up for quite a few of those early years of my elder two sons um, following my husband's job around. So we moved a lot. I'd moved, when I was in Australia and New Zealand, I'd got involved in an organisation that had esoteric teachings, spiritual teachings. What, what's esoteric? Esoteric means sort of ancient wisdom, okay. um, hidden Vedic teachings, Buddhist teachings, some Western philosophy, Plato, that sort of thing. I got involved in in this in both Australia and New Zealand and in being introduced to meditation and had started um, my own practice of meditation quite young. 
And then we moved here and I moved into some more of the more holistic health type practices. Like I trained in reflexology, I trained in Reiki, I had my own natural skin cream products business. I was doing part-time work. But quite a lot of it though. Yeah, complemented being a mum being a stay-at-home mum, but also helped me to grow and learn. And I started doing more study into, I suppose, the more ancient wisdom teachings, the more esoteric. Moved over this way and got involved with Theosophical Society, which is ancient wisdom teachings that come from all different disciplines. And it really appealed to my sense of wanting to understand how the world works, how deeper things work, And it was actually a brush with postnatal depression after my second son that was a real wake-up call as to I've lost who I am. (laughs) The the typical I've become a mum, I've become a wife, who am I, where have I gone? And in the search to sort of reconnect with myself uh, led me to train in Drew Yoga and teaching yoga, the meditation was still there. And I suppose I started going more and more into an understanding of energy, of yoga, a deeper spiritual understanding of how the world works. And I moved, when I came to Chester, I moved into, I'd done enough reading and writing, and I started moving into talking on these type of subjects, and wound up becoming a national speaker for Theosophical Society and still am. I regularly write articles, do a lot of stuff on YouTube and that's voluntary in a way. That's not something I'm paid for but it's something I love to do. So would would you say it's it's a faith to you or? No, it's not a faith. It's more trying to understand how things work, how, I mean, the theosophical teachings were first developed by a Russian woman called Madame Blavatsky uh, about 100, 120 years ago. And she'd been all around the world looking at the origins of yogic philosophy, looking at the Buddhist philosophy, looking at Taoist channeling information from higher masters. There was information coming through that just would blow your mind in terms of understanding deeper aspects. You know, if you're really asking the big questions, who are we, why are we here and how does it all work? Those type of questions... And that's really, that's what I wanted to know. I wanted to understand. And as I came to understand, I wanted to help other people understand. So what what have you understood? Well, I see, the way I see things is, if you like, the understanding of the meaning of life or how it all works and fits together is like a huge jigsaw. And as I've read and listened to and studied and gone to various organizations, they will fill in whole sections of that jigsaw. Like my studies in Buddhist teachings, for example, have filled in big parts of that jigsaw. It just it makes so much sense in understanding the mind. Like what? Like what? Tell me a piece of your jigsaw. Okay, so Buddhist teachings are very much about learning to control your mind. So to be able to step back from everyday thoughts into what they would call the silent observer. 
So it would be your higher mind or if you were looking at it from a spiritual point of view, your higher self that observes your thoughts. And if you can observe your thoughts, and this is what you do in meditation, you are not your thoughts. So you then choose which you give attention to and which you don't. Where do thoughts come from then? Well, most of the thoughts in your mind are not your own. Most of them you've picked up along the way. Who's are they then? They're other people's. Most of them come from a part of your mind you would call your unconscious mind. And we feel like we're at the mercy of our thoughts. We sort of feel in our mind that, that we're controlled by our thoughts. When meditation will teach you to harness the power of your thinking, but that you're not controlled by your thoughts. You decide which thoughts to give attention to, which you let wither and die. And this is really what changes your mind and changes your state of being. So you can choose your state of being because you can choose your state of mind. So what, give me an example of a choice you made. Which thought did you listen to? Okay, I'll give you an example from my teenage years when I suffered with anorexia. So my parents had had a nasty split and all sorts going on. And my way of grappling for control in my life was, as with many teenage girls, was sort of um, controlling my eating. And this went on for a few years. And then when I went off to university, I went to see a counsellor and sort of said, why have I got this? And she explained to me, you know, why you get anorexia, the sort of issues and control issues and mother issues and family issues that contribute. And I went away and thought, right, okay, I know why I've got this. It makes perfect sense. And I started just observing my mind. And it's like I had two voices in my head. I had my normal self and I had the anorexic voice. That if I was down or if it was an awkward social situation or premenstrual, all sorts of triggers, that anorexic voice would get a hold and I would believe it. You know, it would tell you you were fat when you didn't have an inch on you. Do you know what I mean? And yes. you you started, I started to see the anorexic voice almost separate to observe it. And I started just to question it, to challenge it, to laugh at it. No, you're not getting me with that one today. And this was in my 20s. And so that. I think this is when I got into meditation because I started understanding, well, what part of me is challenging those thoughts? I don't have to be controlled by those thoughts. I can recognize them even as not mine and not true. And I really, I suppose, took back control of my own mind. And were you able, like, because obviously these thoughts are loud, mm. how do you shut them up? How, how did you... But I describe, yeah, I d it's like weeding your garden. You know, if you don't water weeds, they wither and die. If you water the flowers, they bloom. And you, through lack of attention, if you believe your thoughts, if you're attached to them, if you give them your time and attention, they grow. And that's your negative thoughts or your positive thoughts. So I just learned, I was lucky enough to learn very early on just to pay them no heed, to laugh at them, to you know, challenge them. And I got a very strong will. I think that's that took, it took a lot of courage, took a lot of will, and also felt like, you know, it was a period of time of just 
coming to really accept myself physically to be comfortable in my own skin, which, you know, a lot of young girls have trouble with and grapple with their whole life. And so I'm not saying it was an easy time, but I was lucky enough the meditation was teaching me to step back from those thoughts and to see them, to question them, to question whether they were true, that your voice in your head would be saying you're fat and you'd be like, no I'm not (laughs) do you know what I mean and so it became a battle for my mind and my higher self what I would call my higher self won I never have any of those issues and I've actually helped girls through so do you still have thoughts that you're fat or has that gone as well it's completely gone there's not even any triggers and like I say I've helped other other people through working with these issues and and you've got all these thoughts going on in your head and you're you're trying to challenge the negative ones about Mm. being fat Mm. was there something there about were there other thoughts that you did want to listen to like yeah yeah what kind of thoughts and a lot of it was understanding that it was my way of trying to get control when in my family certain events had gone on that meant I felt like I had no control. So that understanding, and from an an esoteric point of view, understanding means to stand under a greater truth. So when you understand something, you stand under a greater truth about something. What's an example of that? Okay, so every time you have a greater understanding about something, you are standing under a greater, you know more of the truth about a situation or, or you understand more of a truth about life. So I understood more and more why I developed anorexia, how it had served me and why I no longer needed it as I developed my own strength of mind and had the courage to be who I am to, to sort of find out who I was quite apart from all the family stuff that had gone on. So I've got a quite a literal brain. So I'm standing under a thought that I now understand it's about control with anorexia. Yes. But what's the me standing under it? (laughs) Okay, so if you think in a spiritual esoteric way, we would divide, just for our own understanding, divide yourself into um, your personality, which is the person you, you show up in the world in different roles, how you define yourself, some of your attributes the things you're attached to, your usual thoughts would define your personality. But there's something behind that, something deeper, wiser. Some people might call it their intuitive self when they get a gut feel, when some people might talk about it being a higher self or a soul or that part of them that's in touch with a higher source like God or spirit or whatever they want to call it so sort of almost saying there's a wiser part to me and you find this when you practice yoga and when you meditate when you go into the stillness who's observing the thoughts so if I can watch the thoughts play through my mind who's watching them and it's this higher self this higher aspect of us that's able to observe your thoughts so you're not your thoughts. Have you got a name for your higher self, like I Bob just, or Jeff? Or no, I would I would say that's who I am, the great I am. That's the truth of who you could say. That's my essence. And do they ever interfere or just observe? No, your higher self, in my 
belief system, your soul is always there for your growth and development and your highest good. So it might attract challenges in life that cause you to develop qualities and to grow and to develop and to evolve and grow more consciousness, become more conscious. But, and you know, our personality self might go, I don't like this. I don't like this suffering. I don't like what I'm having to dig deep and find here. But our higher self is sort of looking at the bigger picture. I mean, it sounds ace. So, and it's like, so I've done a bit of meditation. Yeah. I, I, last, I did it for Lent one year. Listen to Ruben, an American, on the YouTube it was uh, mindfulness meditation yeah. and it was about six minutes and uh, I couldn't do the six minutes to begin with and I built it up at the end of Lent to 15 but when Lent was over I'm not going to lie I found it quite hard to just sit yeah. still so how long do you have to meditate for? Well I've been meditating for more than 30 years it varies the key thing for people is that it's every day it doesn't have to be for a set length of time. It's more the quality than the quantity of time because some people can sit in meditation and just wander off on a train of thought the whole time. So I would say to people, you know, the key things in meditation is you have a focus. So that might be your breath. It might be a mantra. It might be a candle, whatever your focus is. And the disciplining of your mind is that every time your mind wanders off on a train of thought you realize and bring it back to the focus. And that's where you're training your mind. You just keep bringing it back. And eventually what happens is as you keep bringing it back, your mind quietens down, especially if you're using the breath. I find the breath the best thing because if you breathe deeply and you use the breath, you're calming your body down. You're stimulating your vagus nerve and you're creating space in your mind. And what happens is that focus on your breath will take you into a peace, a deep, deep inner peace that even if you only get glimpses of, you know on some level, and it's irrefutable and not even explainable, that this peace is the truth of who you are. This peace I would call your soul, your higher self, your essence, your truth and really that peace that you experience is where you find your strength, your clarity, your courage, your wisdom. If you want some intuitive guidance on to make a decision, you go into the peace and the answers are there. Your That peace connects you with a universality, almost like a universal consciousness, a universal mind. And once you've spent some time in that peace, you don't want to not spend time regularly. The meditation, if you can get past the first part of meditation requires perseverance and it requires patience because you become more aware of the wild horses. But once you start taming those horses, then you start to realise the power of your mind. And do you go in there for hours then if it's a cracking place to be? No, you don't have to. That's the thing. It's such a deep, nourishing place to go, especially when I was a single mum with four kids. You know, I would put a little picture of someone meditating on the door and the idea was don't disturb mum when she's meditating in the morning. But, you know, little toddlers and stuff <coughs> will still come in. And, you know, sometimes they curl up on the bed because they like the energy of meditation. You'll find cats and dogs love it when you meditate. They'll curl up on your lap. And sometimes they would just disturb me with something very important. I'd come out of the meditation, answer them and go straight back in. 
So in some way, being a mum in that way taught me to go back into the peace, you know, to come out in and out. So let's let's go back to the single parent thing and explore that. So we'll go back to you've had your two kids, mm-hmm. you're in England. So I had got more and more into the esoteric. Um, my husband and I were definitely on the rocks. You know, we were going different directions. And is that because of your this higher wisdom and malarkey? Some of it, I was starting to recognise some controlling behaviour, how I was losing myself, how I, I didn't have the autonomy in my own life. Um, my life had revolved around his job and uh, sort of conditional conditional love. And I just started deciding I didn't want that. What does conditional love mean? Conditional love means I will love you if you behave in the way that I want you to. Or I will love you if you love me back. Whereas that would be love of the personality of the lower self, if you like. The love of the soul is I'll love you anyway. I'll love you unconditionally no matter what. I love that. And that love you experience as, as say, a parent, often that, when you first hold your child, you are overwhelmed by a love that's completely like nothing else you've ever experienced. And it's unconditional. You could call it divine love. It's It's got a quality you can't put to words. And can you reach that with your partner then, do you think? You can, but in our society, that would be a very special relationship. It would require almost a conscious awareness of that. You can love a partner unconditionally. It's not as easy in our in our way of relating to each other. But yes, you can. But then knowing how hard that is, is there not some kind of compromise in a relationship? Totally, totally. There's often a bit of both. To me, it is to do with when power is mixed up with love. Okay. So when there is true love, unconditional love, there is only empowerment. So you empower each other. If there's any power difference in the relationship, if there's power over or one has more power and the other has less power, that's the love of power. That's not the power of love. And that's when you will get the the conditional love. And what are indicators of power? Energy is the big one. <clears throat> so if we when you're if someone has is exerting power over you, they will drain your energy. You will feel less confident. You will feel less of who you are. You won't feel confident to let your light shine. If someone is empowering you, they're from a, a yoga point of view, they're pouring heart chakra energy into your heart chakra, you will feel lifted up into all that you are. You will feel like you can shine your light and you can, you know, with that person behind you, you can take on the world. So is that like for me and Joy? Sometimes, like I am a bit odd at times, I do acknowledge that. And but it's almost, especially the kids as well. I can be the inner me, the silly me, the, the quirky, odd, and I feel okay around them being like that. Is that yes? That's you being your authentic self, feeling safe to be who you are. So you have to have a, an environment in which you're completely accepted as you are. And really, this is human evolution for us to move from conditional love where, you know, say we might love our children if they do what we want them to do or they behave in a certain way and we withdraw that love if they don't as some kind of punishment, which is, when you think about it, an awful way to parent. 
to to working in a way where we love them anyway. We learn to love and accept them anyway. And for who they are. For who and they I, are. I think actually having kids gave me the confidence to be who I was because yes. I wanted them, especially Jonah, who is also a little bit odd. And I didn't want him, like, you know, what do you want to be when you're older? A circle or a red tractor. And it's like, yes. great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, exactly. but then by me being part of who I was and doing really silly things like, right, come on, <laughs> we're going to the seaside now. Yeah. It's nine o'clock at night, doesn't matter. No. <laughs> Lots of things like that. So you were breaking down the conditions. Yeah. Do you see how you were creating an environment in which rather than, oh, I can only do ABC, I can do anything. Yeah. And that, that is what I would deem, you know, you've still got to give kids guidelines. You've still got to be there and make sure they don't do things that are unsafe or are going to harm anybody else. But that unconditional love is I will love you anyway. Yeah. And I'll love you however you behave. And, you know, we know that when they're toddlers and when they're teenagers, they really test unconditional love. They really put us <laughs> through the test on that one. You know, will you love me anyway even when I behave and talk to you like this? Yeah. Because I'm messed up and going through stuff I, can't, I don't know how to deal with and I'm lashing out at the person I know will love me anyway. Yeah. Okay, we digress again. Back to... <laughs> Loving it, love a digression. So yeah. back to the power relationship. So it was an imbalance of power. Yeah. I was feeling, I was waking up to realising the ways in which I'd given away my power. I was being manipulated. I don't think consciously. I was going to say, how'd you give away power? Like By not setting boundaries and not exerting choices, by not speaking up when you don't agree, by often you're in a relationship where it's not safe to speak up if you don't agree, it's much easier to go along. Yeah, you might feel a bit scared about something, so you just keep quiet. And this is especially if you've grown up in a family with this sort of environment, you're often attracted to people because that you know you know them you're attracted to people who operate in the same way and you might not even know that you're doing it but once you start to wake up and see it you have a choice you either stay in it or you get out and so by this time i was pregnant with twins quite out of the blue <laughs> yeah <Is that> planned? <clears throat> no uh, this was life a, stepping in. I was, I was 38 they told me i couldn't safely carry any more children pregnant with twins in a marriage that's on the rocks family all in New Zealand and I just knew from my higher self from that intuitive deep self this was right and this would be okay that's still a tough old decision isn't really it really tough really really tough they wanted me to have an abortion I looked at it I couldn't do it it wasn't right for me it's right for some people it wasn't right for me and so had these two little babies, still had a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old and got through the first two years, didn't really have a marriage. We were just managing a family. So you you stayed together then? For two years. We split when they were two. And Um, how was that over two years? That was tough because I didn't know at the time he was having an affair for the whole time. (laughs) Yeah, I think started when I was pregnant with the twins. But luckily I didn't know. Yeah. I think that was a a gift. Yeah. Because I instigated the split and he sort of said, are you sure? I said, yep. 
my, I can't live like this anymore. I woke up on my birthday. Your birthday's a real day of looking forward, looking back and looking at where you are. Yeah. thought, I can't do this anymore. So the twins were two. The older two were... That was your 40th um, birthday then, was it, as well? <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> around there it was, actually. Twins were two. The older two were 11 and 9. What was the gift he got you that was that a, a oh, deciding no, factor? No, no, <laughs> no. Like, You got me a hoover. Yeah, <laughs> no. That's it. No, I think we're beyond gifts then. Um, so we split and he decided it would be a good idea to go and work in London. Yeah, and then the childcare arrangements were sort of s- arranged around his job. Uh, so he's still got a lot of power at this point. Yeah, then. and he paid well. He paid good maintenance yeah. while I fitted in yeah. with his plans. So we did that for a few years and that was tough because the plans did not suit me and the kids at all till eventually I said no more and then he cut the payments. Really? Yeah, yeah. Is but he that allowed was, to do that legally? He, he cut them back to minimum. the bare minimum. Yeah. But in some ways that was empowering because remember money is energy. And power, actually, yeah. Yeah, so if someone, if you've got, you know, I see money as energy. So energy needs to flow and it flows in and it flows out and we direct it with our intention and do good with it or choose how much good it does in the world by our intention, by where we send it, by how we use it. So to have less of his energy coming into the home in some ways made it easier for me. Obviously, it made it harder because I had to be the financial parent and the non-financial parent, both parents. They would see him, but there wasn't much involvement. So, But all the time, I was still doing my studies. I was running my yoga business. I was starting increasingly to teach all around the country. How? How? Like, how when you've got four kids? Because... When you start to walk what I call your soul path, the path of your higher self, you are infused with incredible energy. Wow. Because you're doing what's right for you. It's like I had aligned with something deep inside of me, something authentic, that meant I had incredible energy. And, you know, I'm, I'm an organized, willful person. I have a lot of, I probably have a lot of fire energy, a lot of energy anyway. And the yoga and the meditation were supporting. I was eating, you know, I eat very well. Yeah. I look after myself. And my kids, you know, that was my focus. That's, I mean, if I look back to Joy, single parent of four before I met her, and I think during those first years, she just relied on gin and friends to get through it. Yeah. And incredibly busy, like, mm. you know, you are incredibly like if busy. you've got twins that are babies that need the mm. nappies and all mm. of that, mm. but you've got kids in school. Yeah, exactly. Like I remember she said the fir- first day she went out, she was so proud of herself yes, that she just went and are. got a cauliflower. Exactly. But you're you having are. to go out to do a school run still. Yep. So. yep. And get two babies organized. Yeah. It, uh, it was hard. I look back now, I'm not sure how I did it, but I did. And I didn't have any family here. And my husband had isolated me from a lot of friends. That was sort of part of the whole problem. But I found friends. And I had come to believe that I wasn't a very social person. I wasn't a community person. And I come to find that that's just not the case. Made more friends. 
got support, realized the truth of that a community raises a child, and just started living from my authentic place. And that I was just so happy to be able to be myself and to bring up my kids with values that, that I cherished and to an integrity and all of these things, that that's what fueled me. There was no longer a compromise on values. Which is important. I'm just going to, you said, which I loved, a community raises a family. Yeah. Raises a child. A child, yes. sorry. So just, so in terms of you, you got this new community and I'm just thinking about like, I assume lots of kindness was... Yeah. So have you got yeah. some examples there of what people did? To oh, when the twins were first born. I mean, <clears throat> when you have twins, first of all, I'd had a section. So for the first while, until you get them into some kind of routine or pattern, you are feeding and changing and you are up 24-7. You don't get any sleep because when one wakes, the other sleeps and then they wake up and there's just no let up so you have to work out quite quickly that you want them both awake at the same time and both asleep at the same time so you have to wake a sweet sleeping baby to feed them to get them into that sort of routine or you just can't function so at first you know just trying to I was existing on one two three hours sleep and your body, you know, your body adapts. When you sleep, you sleep deeply. You've got the oxytocin. You've got the hormones from breastfeeding to help you do that. But I was still trying to get kids to yeah. school. And we had a lot of neighbours. You know, it took me a couple of months before I could cook a meal. <laughs> it was a big deal. People were just dropping food in because they recognised. And this is, I was still with my husband. He was going to work. I was managing. And people were kind. They just, I had a couple across the road who became like substitute grandparents because my my family were in New Zealand and they enabled me to get out once a week to go to these talks you know to pursue this ancient wisdom teachings and they loved it they could be grandparents and I got a respite for one night a week and it meant the world to me so I would then help them with things that they struggled with as they got older he had a condition where he would fall over a lot. I'd go and pick him up, um, <laughs> do stuff for them. And so, you know, you develop really good relationships. You develop a really good relationship with school because they know you're on your own. They're keeping an eye out for you. They, You know, it just, there's lots of ways in which people are kind. People are there for you. And sometimes your pride, you know, you don't want to ask for help. You don't want to admit that you're struggling but when you you know you have a good cry and a cup of tea with a friend you realize actually you can go on after that and that in itself is an act of kindness isn't it and I think totally I think sometimes it's almost like you've got to be at the bottom mm. because it is hard asking for help but actually totally. when you're in that situation you haven't got a, you choice. Don't have a choice but you grow from that and it's like yeah. yes you yeah. saw that kindness and yes. you got a buzz off that totally but then actually I want to I want to do that for others. Yes. So you're going yes. and picking up your friends yes. from over the road. Exactly. And, and, you know, has that made you want to do acts of kindness? Totally. And I think also I would say my belief is that our soul, the qualities of our soul, and this is supported in esoteric teachings, the three qualities of our soul are truth, beauty, and goodness. 
So if at our essential nature, all human beings are truth, beauty, and goodness, and we can recognize these qualities, when we are kind, we are acting from our soul. This makes us feel really good because we know on some level we're acting from our authentic self. What? So tr- truth, truth is being honest? or Truth, I say to people that we have an inherent capacity to recognize truth. We sort of almost, it has a frequency or a resonance. When we hear truth, it rings. We're like, yeah, that feels truthful or that sounds truthful or that doesn't quite feel truthful. We have a gut feel on truth. That's because we are truth. We recognize when it's the same note. So that's truth. Beauty. Beauty. I'm looking good today. Yeah. Well, also (laughs) the reason we can recognize beauty, you know what I mean when I say beauty and I know what you mean, even if we can't describe it in words. But if we see a sunrise, we get the essence of that because it reflects who we are. We have that essence in us or we couldn't recognize it. That's why beauty is in the eye of the beholder. If we weren't beautiful in essence, we couldn't recognize beauty. <laughs> and what was the third one? Goodness. Goodness. <laughs> head wrecking stuff. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but goodness, I believe, is an essential human quality of the soul level. Now, some people don't have much contact with their soul. As in, They're, I'm good, or yes, you yes. recognize goodness. You both. Is that kindness, both. actually? Kindness, I Is think. Is that an comes, element of? Yes. I believe that the world, the energy of the world, is based on, or the, the we live in an energy of wisdom and kindness. So when I tap into that, I feel good because I'm being who I am in essence. I'm expressing my highest self, my soul. And what reflects back to me is kindness because every act of kindness is reflected back always. It always comes back round. What's the best one you've done? (laughs) I'm trying to think. Well, I'll give you an example recently. So I'm moving house and... In that process, because I'm downsizing, I there's a lot of stuff that I don't want anymore. And I've recognized it's stuff that other people do want. So I'm like, okay. I also knew that the animal sanctuary down the road were really struggling to pay their rent. So here's an opportunity. If I put on my Facebook page, you know, all of this is to give away in exchange for a donation to the animal sanctuary, that's a win-win because it's stuff I don't want, I'm happy to give it away, but I would like to help the animal sanctuary so people make a donation. They feel good because an act of kindness makes you feel good. The animal sanctuary wins. I win because I didn't want what it was anyway, and everybody wins. I like that. (laughs) So do you see how that – and that just builds because as I do that – they mention it on their Facebook page and other people think, oh, I could do that. I could get rid of that old such and such in the garage. And so this system of a donation and what happened on our local Facebook page is more and more people were choosing charities that were putting stuff on there and saying, I'll be giving the money to the RSPB. I'll be giving the money to this. I'll be giving you started, the money you were the, to... You were the first follower. You were the leader that started something. But you see it's how that, that is just... I suppose it's... 
I understand the world in terms of energy. So if I'm giving out, you know, energy energy flows into me and flows out from me. And my intention determines where that energy goes. And do you think, like, if we're thinking about energy, so you're giving out energy, it's probably, is it more cyclical though? Because mm. I find when you mm. do more stuff... And, and I, maybe it is the universe. I, I don't know. As a Christian, I would say, is it my, is it a God incident yeah, yeah. or something like that? There's something there for me there around intention. Like, I don't do an act of kindness wanting something back necessarily. No, I do no. it just because, well, to be honest, I find it really fun and I get a buzz out of doing yeah. it. And often, often people will be doing acts of kindness for selfish reasons even if they're not being honest about it they'll it's not purely altruistic they'll be a they want some recognition or they want to be seen a certain way or you know they want some payback or or just they're feeling guilty and they want to ease the guilt you know yeah but when it's open-heartedly freely you just act because it needs doing do you know what i mean if if you na- if my neighbor falls over in his garden he needs picking up. You don't think, oh, aren't I a good person? I'm going to go and pick my neighbour up. You just go Take over the there and, and put exactly, it on Facebook. <laughs> exactly. You just go and pick him up and you get him a cup of tea and you make sure he's okay. And you don't really think of that. It's just part of who you are. And I think when we get back to recognising that, that at the essence we are kindness and it makes us feel good. And it helps the world. And if this cyclical, it just builds. So so I think you've picked up on something there around if you see your neighbour falling, you just go and help. Do you think there's a correlation, though, between so self-kindness? So for me, you've got to be in the right headspace to want to yes. do an act of kindness. Yes. So I call it looking upwards and outwards to spot opportunities. Yes. So... In terms of your beliefs and the yoga and how how do you position yourself to be able to do acts of kindness, I guess? Well, you have to first and foremost be kind to yourself. And how's that? Well... How do you do that? For example, if you were giving out and giving out and giving out and not receiving and not self-caring and not taking time out when you need and not self-nurturing, you're going to burn out. And then you're going to start resenting those acts of kindness. Whereas if you're self-caring, so you're balanced, and it's really about a balance, I guess. If you're taking, like for me, I'm happy with people, but to recharge I need to be on my own and preferably on my own in nature. So I will factor in, if I'm doing a lot of giving out to people, if I'm giving a talk or workshops or teaching a lot of classes, like the weekend I was at a conference, giving out, giving out, I will set aside some time to recharge because I know if I don't, I'm going to be a cranky mum. I'm going to be resentful. I'm going to be no good to anybody because my energy is being depleted because I'm not opening to letting myself recharge. I'm not doing the things I need to to then build my energy up again to be able to give again. And how did you know that you need to go into a nature place on your own through postnatal depression and not looking after myself after my second son I had a run-in with postnatal depression and like the anorexia it was a real eye-opener as to 
what happens when you self-sacrifice and you give and you don't receive and you don't look after yourself. You you wind up in a hole that you can't get out of. And recognizing that if you look after yourself, that's like a ladder out of the hole. So is that so you had postnatal depression and you got in a hole. Mm. Was your the way you got out of that then was what? Well, at first, I mean, the doctors put me on antidepressants and unfortunately I wound up on that one, Cerizac, which is highly addictive. I think Panorama did a documentary on it. It was one, I don't even know if it's still on. And so it was a real struggle to get off it. I had to be asked to go down to a liquid form and I had an eyedropper. I was literally reducing the dose by a millimetre a help, day. Did it help then? It got me, it was like a crutch, but right. it, I never saw it as a permanent thing and at the time I trained in Reiki and reflexology and I was starting to I suppose explore holistic health in more detail less mainstream western type health and more of your holistic type health and just starting to understand some of the issues I think it was the it was really the wake-up call that my marriage wasn't the best place for me to be Right. Um, I was starting to wake up to some of the patterns in my marriage that mirrored the patterns in my childhood. And it was a real period of growth psychologically, I suppose you'd say. And I look back now as an absolute gift because it really helped me to change direction and to start to learn to look after myself. And especially as a mum, I think as a mum, you often think you have to sacrifice all the time. You come last on the list and you start to realise that if you don't look after yourself, actually, A, you're not a good mum and B, you're no good to anyone after a while. And you start to resent and that resentment's not healthy. It's yeah. just anger bubbling away under the surface that will come out one day <laughs> not in the best way so to, you got out of the depression using well I got off the medication in the end and and used St John's Wort for a while which was sort of a less side effects herbal moved changed what I was doing started asserting some boundaries and this is where my marriage started breaking down when I started sort of saying no or started saying, no, actually, I want to do this. But um, that was actually self-preservation. Yes, yes, okay. yes, it was, it was. And we moved, you know, there was always, we moved every two years, so a move sometimes helps. Although a move, I recognise, quite often when you move around a lot and say you, you follow your partner's job or something, you get A, very good at moving, but you never tackle the problems in your relationship because a move always involves so much that's new and then you're getting established and you're going through all it keeps you busy you, you know you're just you're yeah. getting on and doing trying to build a new community yeah. so actually how do you if a community is raising a child how can you do that if you constantly well you can't yeah. it wasn't till I stayed put that I could build and and split with my husband who's not a community person at all that I could build those community links and go back to what your values are yes yes so it's huge learning curve, yeah, absolutely huge. But you know the beauty is now, you know, I see people one to one as well as um, as teaching classes and and writing and stuff, and I can help people with all of these things because I have worked through them myself, yeah. <laughs> and I understand them. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Definitely 
empathetic. Yes. Like you've got a t-shirt on quite a lot of things. Yeah, definitely. So zooming forward to present day and the future and what what do you hope? I I really like the way you described your house move that you've got coming up. But Mm. in order to get the right house, well, how you positioned yourself? I talk in terms of the universe. You might talk in terms of God or consciousness or to me. And, you know, I've known for a while that once my twins... Who are, who are now 18, once they decided where they were going to, to uni, that that would be the first time in 27 years that I don't have to be somewhere because of someone's job or someone's school. So the first time I could go, okay, what do I want to do? Where do I want to live? What kind of energy environment do I want to be and what will nourish me? What am I doing now? It feels like a huge shift, a huge change for me. And the first time I've sort of said, you know, I've never thought, what do I want? It's always sort of been, what's the compromise? What do the kids need? What in the past? What did my husband need? What did everybody else need? So knowing that this change was coming, I knew I could, I needed to sell my house. And I knew that would free me up to make some choices. So I just started putting out to the universe and visualizing and using affirmations just how I want to feel. So I wasn't being specific. I wasn't saying I want, you know, a caravan in a field or I want a log cabin in a wood. I wasn't saying anything. I just, I would visualize how I want to feel. I want the kind of life where I don't have to have a holiday because my life, I love my life so much. And I wanted to feel full of energy. I wanted to be able to give and receive. I wanted to be in a natural environment. I just knew how almost for me, I needed to reconnect back to that Kiwi energy. I needed to to be able to be myself, to be really authentic even more, to really step into that. And so I just would visualize this, and I didn't go into details. And then a series of events almost miraculously have just fallen into place to present me with way more than I could ever have envisaged. And people have said, Teresa, how have you done this? How have you manifested a miracle? And I'm like, I just knew how I wanted to feel. I knew what I wanted. And when we, this is the power of our mind. Obviously, I've got a mind that's really clear through all the meditation. My mind is clear most of the time. And using that power of my mind to be really clear about what I wanted, how I wanted to feel. So what happened was, you know, I put on right move, okay, I want to be within half an hour of Chester so I can still keep my business going. I'm going to put feelers out. I knew I wanted an eco house. I wanted a good environment. I still wanted to have a community. And I sort of started looking at, you know, buying an older place and turning it into an eco house, etc. And then up on right move popped the perfect eco house with a stream and a wood, (laughs) custom built, open plan like a New Zealand house, all the eco features already done and a small community 20 minutes from Chester. And it's just like, and then to buy this place, I needed, because they they needed me to move quite quickly for my house. I had to wait till my twins had finished their A-levels to put my house on the market. So I got it all spruced up, garden done, put it on the market. I needed a cash buyer with no chain almost immediately. And with the first viewer, within three days, I had a cash buyer with no chain. 
and they accepted the offer on the house that that I'm currently buying. And it all just fell into place because I knew what I wanted and I saw the opportunities. I just I wasn't specific. I was very open, but when life presented me, I just went, "Oh my goodness, that's it." And when you say putting out, I would say again, there's so many similarities to like faith and yes. So I would yes. say that would be me praying. Yes, totally. And and having faith. We, we use a quote quite a lot where you you pray to God but row to shore. Yes, so there's exactly. something about I'm putting yep. this out, yep. but actually I'm going to be on right now. Oh yeah, I'm yeah. You don't sit back. Ready. You don't just sit back and wait for it to land on your doorstep. No yeah. way. You take the steps as if it's already happened. Yeah. And that's that's how it works. I think you've got an incredible attitude to life and I love you. I just love being around you because you have got a positive energy and it's like I I'm drawn to that. And yeah. yeah. Um it's it is energizing being around you. Mm. Uh which I I can't say about everybody that I'm around. Yeah. But, yeah. Um but in terms of I think you're quite different because of that. Yes. And actually you're quite self-confident now i don't think you know yeah. from what you've said no that's built do you think you are different yeah definitely very different and you know my kids even now i think they're starting to be proud of the fact that their mum's weird yeah <laughs> their mum's into weird stuff she thinks weird things but actually some of the things she's starting to say seem to be making some sense it, it took me a long time to be comfortable with being so different. It helps being a Kiwi in England because you're already different because you speak differently. So yeah. people often think, oh, that must be what they do in New Zealand. They don't realise, no, that's me. And I've become quite comfortable with being different. But that can, you know, that can be isolating until you find your tribe, you find like-minded, you find people who are like you or who are interested in the things you are or who speak the same language. And I think if you don't have that, that can be quite hard. If you if you know you are different and you're interested in different things and you're not just interested in buying lots of clothes and going out partying. And, and do you yeah. think, though, when you were struggling in your relationship, it was actually because you were conforming? Yes, and definitely. And you were being how you were expected to be. But it was actually, being the wife that was expected. But yeah. actually, it's only when you took the brave move <laughs> yeah. to move away that you started to embrace your difference. Definitely, definitely. And I got so much, it just, I got so much, I felt so good inside walking my path that that more than made up for, yeah, it took some real courage at times. And there, don't get me wrong, there were times when I was, you know, I was at my wit's end trying to manage four kids, wondering how I was going to do the next day. But you get up the next day. And one of them will say something that just melts your heart. Or like now, you know, my kids really recognize that they were lucky. Yeah. And I have a fantastic relationship with them, with all four. And they have good relations with each other. And you can't ask for more than that. Do you know what I mean? That's the essence of it all. And so actually for you, embracing the fact that you are different yes. has made you stronger. Totally. And it's also given my kids permission to be different to walk a different path or to not conform. You know, they struggle because probably their dad would rather they conformed and their mum's way off the planet, yeah. not conforming. <laughs> so they have <laughs> they have a very polar parents, but they seem to be learning to negotiate that. 
There's a saying in esoteric terms that really helps me to understand it. And it says that we are in the world, but not of it. So in essence, when I'm meditating, that deep stillness and peace that I connect with, that's who I am. I bring that through into my everyday life, knowing I'm in this world, but I'm not necessarily of it. And I'm quite comfortable walking in those two worlds. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I need to think on that one though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and what about like like romantic relationships for you now? Does this whole difference and way yeah. of being Yeah. I mean I've had romantic relationships of most of them I would say it describe as steep learning curves <laughs> along the way that have helped me to address issues in my past, in my family of origin, in my marriage, and it's been a rocky road. If you believe that we have a soul contract with some karma to deal with, I think I've dealt with quite a lot of that (laughs) karma through those relationships because I am a person who likes to relate, you know. But now it feels different because I have such a good relationship with myself that I don't need a relationship. If someone came along, it would be more that I would want to be with them. I don't need to or have to be with them. And it would definitely be that they enhance my life and I enhance theirs. And that's very different from being on your knees just needing help with the kids. Do you know what I mean? And so there would be room to grow what I would call a partnership. And obviously, if that comes along, well and good. And if it doesn't, it actually doesn't matter. And that might sound unromantic and it's not. The, the most important relationship is your relationship with yourself and the others stem from that. Yeah, and yourself, liking yourself, actually. Yes, yes. And, and yes. not many people do, I'm discovering. No, no, uh, they don't. And that's what I work with people with a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So just the, the final bit that I wanted to do is to do a kindness summary. Okay. So throughout the last hour, what kind of highlights around kindness do you think we've pulled out? I need to answer this as well because it's yeah. quite a hard question. Yeah, it is a hard question. <laughs> For me, kindness is the essence of who we are. Yeah, so, the, so the Buddhists would say that loving kindness is an essence of who we are. And when we express that, we feel good and it does good. Yeah, so we've got that. I'd say another one is actually self-kindness yes. pulled apart. Yes, it's got so, to be balanced with kindness with others. Yeah, yep. and, and the other one, which might be the same as the first one, was when you said about the three things, beauty, truth, and, and goodness. goodness. And that goodness is... Is, a, is kindness is enmeshed in that, yes. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Curious Chats and Kind Acts. It was lovely to have you. Can I just say a massive thank you to all the people that we've interviewed who have been so honest and vulnerable with me so that we can have these real life stories to share with you, our wonderful listener. And remember, we'd love to hear what random or small acts of kindness you've been up to so that we can maybe do a few. Find us on all the socials, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and all our forward slash acts GB. That's A-C-T-S-G-B. And drop a comment on our feed, tweet us, or even send a photo. Let's build our kindness community together. We'll read some of our favourites on future episodes of Curious Chats and Kind Acts. And you never know, we might even have a go at a few of your ideas ourselves. Watch this space on the socials. For more information about the Acts charity, including how to donate to us, 
head to axonline.uk. See you next time.